the simplest thing you can do is just set yourself free and set everyone around you free as kindly as possible. I think I've found more love in the setting free of those who I think I love. How can we set free those that we love? No expectation. That's hard, you know, because we want to know we're safe. And the way that we have felt safe here is, you know, we have a fire. We have a tribe around the fire. And if you're not part of that circle, you're in the wilderness and in the dark. I took a pipe full of that bufo and just went so deeply into the cosmos, into the fractal realm of existence, right? And then it's like just coming back. It's just like so much love mm. in your heart, in your body, in your everything. And I, I looked at her and I said, now you know how much I love you, right? And she's like, yeah, mom. But I wasn't there, right? <laughs> <laughs> Today's guest is an energy healer, spiritual seeker, consciousness raiser, plant medicine explorer, and quantum touch instructor. She developed her love of mudra, mantra, and the breath during Kundalini yoga teacher training at Yoga West Vancouver and Hatha yoga teacher training with Shakti Mi in Bali. She became a oneness trainer during an epic journey to India with her husband, Paul, and she received her oneness blessing training in Fiji, Hawaii. She regularly facilitates cacao journeys and has created a 12 chakra guided breath meditation. Please welcome Kathy Scott. Oh, thanks, James. Kathy, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's such a pleasure to have you. Well, you know, listening to that introduction, it was like, I do a lot of that with my husband, right? Um... We've done so many things together. I must say, I've, I, I went and found all of them, most of them. But, you know, um, bringing them forward, uh, develop, think, uh, developing them in our, as a business for ourselves, and, and the whole alchemy of it was, was uh, Paul and I together for sure. Yeah. How do, you, how do you see your role today? What is the core of your work today? Hmm. It's, uh, oh, wow. You know, it, after a while, you come to realize there's not much you can do to change things outside of you. And so I think the core of my work has been coming into um, some f form of integrity within. And you'd think, well, didn't you do that before? And it's like, yeah, but it's a never-ending. And I find new layers of all kinds of emotions, some that I, you know, I really don't enjoy, um, uh, but still need, they still need their, their moment and their time and their say and their, their completeness in order to, uh, to release me from them. So it's, it's, it's like the inner work is still really tops. I think, um, following my thoughts around and, and, and just uh, I think I have a knack for going one more layer down. Uh, a lot of conversation. It's often with people. It's it's like it's like yeah, and then there's there's that next layer down, right? And and if you get that blank stare, it's like oh well, that's enough for you, right? And there's nothing wrong with with being at that point. It's just there always is one more layer down, right? One more, one more, one more, and we can only follow our own. 
there's nothing I can really do except tell you about my own experience. And, uh, and if you can find something relatable to yourself in it, then, it ha- then it's helpful to you. Otherwise, you know, I just get to tell my story one more time and hear myself say it and wonder what layer I want to look at next, you know? <laughs> do you recommend that people on their spiritual journeys keep going an extra layer than they might have to uncover what's within? <laughs> If you're ready, you know, um, and you'll be ready because you do. It's mm-hmm. kind of a funny thing like that, you know. It's, uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of like you know the Chinese finger trap. The more you pull, the tighter it gets. That cute little game they play, and uh, finding the uh, the next layer. Sometimes it's it's like you can stay with one aspect of something in what I would call that layer of it for a lot of your life. And that's okay. You'll find out many different ways, sideways and, and, and other ways, but it's, it's like, it's like that 360 breath you take. And then it's like, Oh, and then there's that piece coming through, which I didn't really notice before, no matter what, how hard I looked, no matter what I looked at. I only had my perception to use. I heard you once talking about it as uh, making room for our humanity, making yeah. room for all those <laughs> negative emotions, all those shadow aspects of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the pain that it is to be human, right? And, and how we don't like to be... Uh, to, to think that we caused our own pain. And usually at the root of it, we have. And then you can say, well, how could you do that? How could you say that about random, you know, violence and, and stuff like that? And it's, it's, it's not even about the physical stuff that shows up. It's about all of the perceptions. And everything leads us somewhere. And then you know what, too, James? I think that we have a predetermined life in so many ways. It's just how we want to be in it, right? And so when I find myself getting deeper into how I want to be with something, and it's 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 like if I really want full freedom, you know, I have to give it to everyone around me. Mm. And uh, And then you find out where you really don't want to do that. You'd rather not. When you say predetermined, you mean like we don't have free will? Because hmm. I find that really fascinating. You know, some people believe that everything yeah. is predetermined and we're playing it out and others. Yeah, yeah, it is a fascinating one, isn't it? And I think the predetermined piece for me is that um, the way I look at life is this, is that like from the vastness of, of the uh, field of awareness, you know, we, we, we become aware that we are awareness and, and, and that energy starts to form a density that is, that is enough to, to, um, to travel through something with, with a will to travel. And it's an acceptance. I look at it as an acceptance to existence, right? So when I'm feeling like, uh, you know, uh, like when a child is born, 
um, it, they accepted an invitation, but they were they had already become aware of of awareness and being in that awareness, and that those invitations could have been there over and over many times. And that evolution is that oh, this is the zip line I'm coming into Earth on this realm, right? And then when you get there, it's it's all of the things that happen, and uh, and then what how how you perceive them because so many people have the exact same thing happen to them, and they have a different perception and it changes their entire life. Whereas others, you know, they don't nearly have as many uh, physical or or financial or uh, traumas on 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 you know on a level, and yet they seem super traumatized, and it's their perception. So they're working an energetic path, right? And so their perception is is uh, is is what's forming the life, and it starts to form a path. But I think there's always the choice as you go along to, to to pick that a or b right but i have a feeling that we're the path is always going to go back to awareness so in that sense we don't have a choice we're coming into life and we're going to go back out to awareness and we're going to come into life and we're going to go back out into awareness and we're given somewhat of a storyline it's like uh, I took acting classes a long time ago, you know, and, and it was fascinating in an acting class. Everybody gets the same script to play, and then you watch the very the, 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 so, the variety of portrayals of that script. And, it's, and so you start looking at movies, let's say, that you've watched, and you think, what if this guy took that attitude? Like, what if they had you know, this actor in there instead of that one? And how would that have go? How would the, how would I feel about the movie? You know, and people say, oh, I gave up that role. And it's like, well, you didn't resonate with it. And it made that person a big star. Um, but wasn't that their kind of, they were going to be a big star at some point anyway. And this wasn't, this wasn't, uh, and maybe you are or never were. And if you'd taken that role, that wouldn't have been that big a movie. Right. Yeah. I see what yeah. you mean. It's like, no matter which opportunities come, your destiny is sort of already set up for you. To a degree. And I hate to be, I, I'd hate to say that for anybody in particular and, and they'd go, well, <gasps> that means I'm going to have a shit life for the rest of this life. And it's just like, I don't know. Because your whole deal might have been to have had struggle for 67 years, and then you have a decade of absolute glory that you couldn't have done without, you know, you couldn't have picked one of those 67 days of those 67 years out and got to that same thing. Yet mm-hmm. along the way, it's 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 like it's your perception, it's your it's your decision to to decide what it feels like to be on that path. That's the thing. It's like how much I suffer is up to me. It's like what my friend says. It's the meaning we apply to things more so than the things itself. Yes, I give everything the meaning it has. Is that's a course in miracles lesson, right? You know, I give everything the meaning that it has. Yeah. It's just like, what meaning have I given that? And then you can look, well, if I gave it that meaning and that maybe I could have given enough, a different meaning, how does that affect everything else then, right? And and it's like, I think that it affects everything else quite a bit, but I still think you're going 
to a, a like along a path. Like there's some things that, oh my gosh, like I, I couldn't have created that myself. And it took decades to put together and, uh, and random things whistle in out of nowhere that you kind of forgot about. And all of a sudden it's their turn to show up as that thing. And, and it's like, man, I forgot about that 15 years ago. I gave up on that five years ago. And, uh, and I, and I totally released it and, uh, you know, and then, and, and forgot about it. And now here it is. And if I'd had if I'd had my druthers along the way, I might have eliminated it, taken it out, changed it, made a new choice, and um, and and I still think I would end up where I was. I would have just had a little bit of a different meaning to it along the way. I know you as someone who's done so much inner work, and you've traveled to so many spiritual realms. Were there clues early on in your life that hinted at all of those spiritual adventures yet to come? You know, I, I think we get really interesting things in our lives that will tell us stories about ourselves, and then we get to take that story and, and flesh it out and make meaning of it. And, you know, some of the things I remember, I remember being a little girl, eight, nine years old, right? And I had been I had been moved from one area of Canada to another, and my whole life changed. I was I went from a small town to a big city. Um, it was like even the kids in my class looked weird. Like it, I I hadn't seen people look who looked like that before. It seemed like I'll never forget this one guy. His name's Chris Merringer. He may still be alive. He had red hair and he was really tall. And I was like, what? Because I was from such a small little community and I had such a small little life and it was so shocking. And, and um, I was surrounded by family and, and, and I, went, I went into a big city and, and my family was just a few people now. And it wasn't the greatest circumstances either in that family dynamic. And um, I got very angry. And I remember uh, uh, one night... Um, the news was on and and it was my job to do i'm 9 years old and i'm so upset because i'd never really done anything i'd never been made to do housework there wasn't any it was just me and my mom and <laughs> and i would you know help out a little bit but i i was suddenly like the housemaid and and it, and it felt like you know my my family was in the living room watching the news and having their drink after dinner, and I was cleaning the dishes and serving the drinks. And, and this uh, uh, news thing came on about this guy who'd been arrested as a Satanist, and he was going to go to jail and all these things. And, and I don't even remember really what they said, but I just remember that, that he, was, he was bad, he was making people do things, and there, but there was something about it that I was, I was super attracted to. It was the power of having control over other people and myself. And I was like, I'm going to learn that. I'm going to find out how to figure that out, and these people aren't going to be able to do this to me anymore. And that evening, I went outside uh, and just sat on a, there was this high wall that for me was pretty high. I had to jump to get on it. And I sat there watching cars go by and thinking about how I was going to figure this out because I was so upset and so helpless in the situation I was in. And uh, 
And there was just like, and I'm not a voices person or anything. I don't know if it if it was a voice or if it was just every cell in my body said, no, no, you will not do that. You wow. will not do that. And I think that might have been the first time I became aware that there's something outside of me besides my parents and others that uh, that directs me. Was that like your first experience with the divine or would you even call it that? Yeah. You know, yeah, even as I'm talking to you, I'm trying to figure out what that was because like I I like everything I have that I know for myself or that I can, I feel like I can help others with or transmit in any way has has been very hard won. And um and so it's it's not like I've always been in the woo-woo and and uh and you know I I'm actually quite logical and it's gotta make sense and stuff like that. And uh and so I didn't have a reference for what that could be. And even to this day I'm like you know, was that just my common sense? Just saying, like, you don't want to go that way. But what is common sense when it's telling you that other than the divine, right? Right, if it's your intuition or your gut feeling as well. Yeah. What, what would you say was the next turning point for you where you felt connected to something mm. spiritual? You know, I've always had massive synchronicity in my life. And so it's like um, I can, and, and, and I think it's how we started the conversation too, is seeing how, you know, things add up and you couldn't have made that happen. You couldn't have known that's where that would go and all of those kinds of ideas. And, um, you know, um, I think what what happened for me like I, I don't think I really was in my body and my person for years, like decades. You know, it was like I didn't get this place. I didn't understand. It was. Um, and I'm not saying that because everybody says it. It's just like I really didn't know how to do life. I came from a lot of uh, tragedy and and um, just circumstances that didn't lead me to to be. You know cognizant and think about my education and how I wanted to plan my life and all those things that seemed like everybody else around me knew what was going on um, and how to do it. So I let life happen at me in some way for a long time, um, just going with the flow. And then I started to piece together how the flow was taking me along, right? Ah, uh, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I, I, um, let's see, I, I started off like, uh, an old boyfriend when I was like 15, his mom worked, she did nails, you know, those acrylic nails. I got a job doing nails for that summer. And then in that year, 
the the teachers went on strike. And so I I worked all, you know, for quite a few months and I was, I was got really good at nails. Right. And then I, you know, school went back and I stopped doing that. And then I got out of school, didn't know what to do. And so I went to a place where they needed a nail tech and it was a hair salon and it was a fabulous hair salon. It opened my mind in so many ways. Like, Oh, the people in that hair salon. Like, it was cool. Like, it wasn't an uptight hair salon. Boris and Marianne, I'll never forget them. And <laughs> <laughs> hello. That was the Marianne's favorite way to say hi, right? And we're talking like 1979 or something like that. And <laughs> and then uh, the place burnt down on New Year's Eve. And so I and I was learning how to do hair from Boris and Marianne when I didn't have nail clients. So I've always been able to groom my dog and do my husband's hair. <laughs> <laughs> but I never became a hairdresser. But because the place burnt down, because I was there, because I knew how to do nails, because the place burnt down, because that was Boris's fate, and because I was jobless suddenly, you know, the 1st of January, I applied for a government uh a subsidy to go to secretarial school. And I was in Ottawa, right? The last thing I wanted to do was work for the government. So, and I and I was terrible at typing. I hated to type. And so I, w- I, I was start, was getting close to graduation and I was like, I had to improve my typing skills. So I go to the to the class where the teachers, you know, take turns doing drills for the students who are bad at typing. And as I'm walking in, it was the placement officer. And I've never gone to spruce up my skills before. I've never talked to her before, anything. And I just looked at her and I said, is there any interesting jobs coming up? And she's like, well, because I said, because I don't want to work in the government. Okay, well, well, there's a job at a radio station, but they want somebody to start now. And you're not graduating for another month. And I said, can you give me the information? And she did, right? And uh, I went for the interview and I quit secretarial school without my certificate, which back then was like, you know, are you crazy? Like, what would you do that for to, to go type the logs? Because at that time, the, the, the announcers followed these long sheets of paper where somebody had type in, typed in who was whose commercial was next and all that kind of thing. So I worked and it was called traffic. I worked in traffic at the radio station in Ottawa. And um, what happened there was um, there was hardly any women in the place. And all of them who were there were like kind of old ladies who'd worked at this radio station forever. And then the young receptionist, and they tried to get her to do some commercials and she just couldn't do it. And, um, and so it was like, could you try and come in and read? We need a female voice so bad. And, and I was like, <laughs> so I would disappear from my job at my desk and I'd be, I'd, and they couldn't find me because I was in a soundproof booth learning how to do commercials. And, um, and pretty soon I could walk in and do a 60-second commercial in 60 seconds. And then, uh, you know, and then, and then I, uh, I, I break up with a boyfriend and, uh, and he'd gone to this gym all the time. And I thought, I'm going to go to that gym and I'm going to show him how fit I'm going to, I'm going to get all muscular too. So I go to this <laughs> gym to sign up. He's not there, but all these other people are. And they're, they're like, would you like to go to Hull? Uh, we're going to a club and I don't go to clubs, right? I, I just don't do it. And I'm, but I'm newly single. I'm at the gym and I'm like, okay. And so I go to this club 
And I, I walk in there and I see this guy I recognize. I hadn't seen him in years and years and years. And I said, Ronnie Hire. And he looks at me and he goes, who are you? And I said, Kathy Howe. And he goes, I said, Stephen White's old girlfriend. He goes, oh, he said, Stephen's right there. I just picked him up from the airport. He lives in Vancouver now, right? Wow, yeah. And I was, I, I, I walked up and I was like, wow. And then Steve, and I told Stephen off for how it had ended <laughs> five years previously. <laughs> and then I phoned him up to apologize the next day. And he asked me out for dinner. And I said, you know, sorry, sorry. And he goes, let's try again. He said, why don't you come to Vancouver? And so I came to Vancouver, like in 1981. And it's like, look at the ways that happen, right? And then, you know, and I'm a secretary uh, uh, because that's what I was trained at. And uh, I had all a stack of resumes. I used one because on the way in from the airport, I'm clicking on radio stations and I hit like CFOX, a big station in Vancouver. And I said, I'm going to work there. And my soon-to-be ex-boyfriend said, <laughs> for the second time, said, you can't work there, Kathy. They're like, that's the biggest radio station in Vancouver, right? And uh, and then I was living out in Port Moody. You know where that is. That's way outside of Vancouver. I was not in Vancouver. I, I, I It wasn't a big city, right? And I'm playing records. This is how long ago that was. And I wasn't doing the this thing with them. I was putting the needle on and listening to the whole thing. <laughs> And then I got tired of that, and I decided I'd listen to the radio station that I was, you know, going to work at, I thought, maybe. And this is like weeks later, and uh, um, like the uh, 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 announcer was talking about, uh, you know, just had uh, had a psychic in, and I was like, I love psychics, you know? And, and every once in a while, I'll find a psychic or a, somebody like that, and they, and I'm just like, Every cell in my body is like, you need someone to talk to you. And, I, and it's like, <laughs> it's got to be like that. And, and it was like, I need to talk to that person. So I phone up the radio station and 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 uh, who, someone who was to become one of my very good friends, Charlene. Hello, LG73 Fox. And I said, I want to speak to the psychic. Just a minute. And she puts me through to the, the announcer. And I said, hey, you know, I want to talk to your, the psychic. And he goes, oh, she's done. He said, but what did you want to ask her? <laughs> and I said, I wanted to ask her if I was ever going to get another job in radio again. And he's like, oh. Because it's like, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> it's totally not what he wanted to hear. <laughs> and he goes, what do you do? <laughs> right? <laughs> and I said, I'm a secretary. He goes, we're looking for a secretary. Wow. So I came in, I used one resume out of my stack of resumes, and I became the secretary to the general manager and the two program directors and the sales manager. And then a year later, you know, and of course, you know, they're like, you don't have ambitions to go on the air, do you? And I'm like, no, I'd say fuck the first day I know it, and I'd be fired, right? And, <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I started doing commercials for them, though, and uh and then about a year later, it was like, why don't you go on the air? And I just had the greatest time. And I ended up on the number one morning show in Canada. Um, we won an award uh, for being the number one show in Canada. By then, I was married to the morning man, too. And, you know, we got a lot of publicity because we were a couple. 
And we actually gave birth to our daughter live on the radio, which really pissed her off later on in life. She thought that was a bit of an invasion of her privacy as a baby. <laughs> but we didn't know any better at the time, you know? And, and it was, <laughs> we just, it was part of our job. And all of those things, like, came from taking a job as a nail tech when I was 15. Yeah. And asking that woman, that counselor, is there any interesting jobs? Yeah, finding the job at Boris's and getting the place burnt down and then going to the training and then going, I don't fit as a secretary. And it's like taking the job as a secretary in a radio station and then ending up having an amazing career in radio and television that just went on and on, you know? It does feel kind of predetermined or predestined in a way. And it's so interesting, as you're driving into Vancouver, you prepave that intention. I'm going to work at this radio station. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. your boyfriend's doubting you, but you know on some level, I'm going to end up there. Mm -hmm. And is did I give that the meaning it had eventually for me? Or was I informed, just like I was that very first time when the voice went, no, 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 no. Don't do that. You're not meant for that in this life, Right. Yeah, And so in some ways, it's like my whole life has been a spiritual experience for me, you know. Um, when I look back at some of the things I did back when I was a young woman in Ottawa, for instance, um, you know, back then, Cosmopolitan magazine, whether you can remember that magazine or not, it was like, it was all about positive thinking and stuff like that. And I would be, I'd be writing things out in my diary. I'd be snipping things out. I'd be clipping them. I'd had all this uh, information and I was actually, you know, tutoring myself to, you know, to go into, you know, a disciplined mind. Like they say in A Course in Miracles, an undisciplined mind can accomplish nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You, you've studied A Course in Miracles for over 20 years now, right? Yeah. What kind of lessons have you learned from it that maybe you could pass on to the listeners? Yeah. Yeah. Well, everything has the meaning I give it. <laughs> That's a big one. Yeah. 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 And I am the light of the world. That's another lesson. Ah. Yeah. 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 Talk to me about that. I am the light of the world. Well, it, it just, that all there is is light here. We're all just, you know, degrees of light, densities of light. You know, when I look at the body as, um, at, at life, as anything that manifests as, it's just light that is moved into a certain density and it and i don't i'm not talking 3 or 4 or 5 densities or anything like that it's just that if we zip line in on a thread of of energy and we go into that spark of light that creates life you know when the orgasm happens between two consciousnesses and and that light flashes a third consciousness comes from those two right yeah yeah and so when we when we realize that at, from that moment we are the light of the world and everything then we we came in as the light and and that light was the moment of of aliveness. Mm. And they know from studying 
whatever they study with the microscopes and all that stuff that that there is a there is a a spark of light a flash of light when the um egg and sperm uh unite and decide to keep going and and so it's it's like if i'm the light of the world then that's been happening ever since that moment right and and so as we go along and we and we're 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 met with the densities of others and their densities are only caused by their experiences right mm-hmm. how much mm-hmm. their light has been you know shut down or how much they've been allowed to shine and 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 that kind of uh uh aspect of but everybody finds something that tries to squash their light right and that's why one of the lessons of i am the light of the world is to remind you that that's how you came and in some ways, you'll go in a flash of light as well. And it will be like your own internal journey of that flash of light, right? And so I like doing a meditation uh, sometimes at the beginning of, uh, of uh, breath work where it's like to just realize that, you know, our skin is just a suggestion of separation, right? Mm. And if you close your eyes and you just, you just, you just feel that you like just feel your hands move feel and and what if it's what if what you're running your hands through isn't any different than the energy inside the skin and if you take a microscope and you look at the skin what is it except you know it goes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until you get to a cell that has a little flash of light in the middle of it and and so when i'm looking to raise my vibration as people like to say it's to just to feel like you know like can i feel what density is near me can i feel what is being called for can i breathe enough to you know feel the body and to and then to let it go let it go from that density and then start imagining that you know i'm just a a, a compilation of trillions of cells energetically my skin isn't even solid and if i just let all the energy that i am you know just become part of the energy that's all around me won't i start being you know like in the energy that 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 is like it's like color grades you know it's if you want to get to red you, you, or or orange you know, or yellow you you go through these grades of color that you know and so there's grades of energy and so if i can train myself to see the grades of energy to see that i'm just an energy body that is and so then when i'm here and i'm radiating that light of the world that i am and i'm and i'm acknowledging the energy that i am and i and I just breathe from that place of that energy, then other energy forms that are in that same um, ritual with themselves, if you want to call it that, as opposed to resonance, an overused word that people don't even kind of get anymore because everybody's talking about the resonance. And it's like, do you know what that means? It's like, you're vibrating here and something is vibrating here. And because you're vibrating differently, you're not in resonance. You're not in attunement. You know, it's like a string on a guitar is pulled. And as long as that one string is moving, the others beside it are affected, right? And if it's out of tune, they become out of resonance, right? And so as you tune yourself, you you tune all of those things around you and then other things start to come into that resonance that attunement with you yeah 
you mentioned something about not letting other densities squash your light and to keep shining your light. Is there a piece of advice you could give to someone who maybe is dimming their light or is hiding themselves and not allowing their light to be seen? Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's the layer thing again. It's it, it's like that's always what's got me out of what's going on, you know. Um, when people stop asking questions of themselves, um, when they've got to the explanation that makes them feel comfortable, keep asking yourself more questions that make you feel uncomfortable until you're comfortable with that answer and that question that you're coming to. And then, is it true? You know, is this true for me? Am I resonating with that? Or have I made up a story? Because, you know, you got to live the story you want to tell. And uh, some people tell the story they want to live. And, and sometimes that can help. But it's like, it's like it's going deeper in. Because, you know, inside each cell, in each light, there's an entire version of you. So like your whole body, trillions of cells, is a hologram of endless you, 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 you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And so you'll never stop knowing more about yourself. Wow. And yeah. That's beautifully put. What led you to plant medicine and psychedelics? Mm. Sobriety. <laughs> I was I was a I was an alcoholic. Uh, I am still. I can't drink alcohol. I, I've had my fair share of alcohol on the planet. I just really have. Um, my body knows that. Simple as that. Um, and and it's a bit hereditary. Like my dad was a raging, and and you know a lot of my siblings. I'm the last of seven children. Fell into booze, but not all. And those who didn't were are just like, like, what's wrong with you guys kind of thing. But um, I think I've been, I was seeking something to expand the parameters of my mind and to help me with the pain in my heart. And um, once you get into the alcohol and then you add tobacco, because, you know, I came from Southern Ontario, everybody smoked. We grew tobacco. You know, it, it, when you started smoking at 12, 13, 14 years old, you weren't reprimanded. You were given a seat by the ashtray by, you know, hey, 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 welcome, welcome, welcome. Since you're funny, you're growing up now. You're going to smoke, huh? And, <laughs> and it's like, you know, and that has its toxification. And, and then the cannabis came in and it was quite a cocktail. And then later on in life, it was, you know, the cocaine, you know, the recreational use of drugs that also go into the edgy stuff. And being, you know, once I got to Vancouver and I got into radio, wow, I'll tell you, there's a lot of drugs, um, but it's not medicine, <laughs> except that it can take you to your knees when you need to go there. And, um, you know, when I, I'm a, I'm a high bottom person in almost all things, except maybe affairs of the heart, because I get, I get it. I got a lot going on in the head. My head moves quickly. So it's like, 
I didn't need to destroy my life to know my life was going to be destroyed, but I had to still deal with it like as if my life was destroyed. And in that sense, it just felt like I had a plexiglass wall between myself and the whole world. And I was like a dead woman dancing, you know, just like a ghost behind the glass, just moving with the motions of life. And it was that real numbness that took me from what was destructive to me into many years of sobriety. Um, Like I got sober in 1997 and I didn't do anything. I had one brief ayahuasca journey back in like 2008 or nine or something like that, maybe even earlier than that. And um, it was in uh, a year to Maloka and there was a lot of smoking, which I'd already given up by then and a lot of, you know, puking. And, and I woke up in the morning and I was like, this is why I got sober. And I, <laughs> get me out of here. You know, people stink and you, you're just like, what's wrong with you? You got to do this. And so <laughs> it's like, no, for a long time. And, uh, and then, um, you know, uh, and then one of the things that sobriety brought to me as well was, um, like I, I wore the label, uh, for a long time in later life of ADHD. Uh, Before I got the label, I didn't know what to call myself crazy. It worked on radio, I'll tell you that. And and so I had a lot of fun, Um, but there was just like, after a while, it just wasn't practical. I couldn't remember what I was doing from one room to another at times, because when what they say with the ADHD mind and whether that's caused from pharmaceuticals at young ages or however you get there or genetics or whatever, what happens is your mind is like a camera that takes the picture too soon. And so you don't get a full picture and you're on to the next picture. It's constantly rolling over too fast. So you never get a complete anything. So I I was at a point in my life where I'd finally got sober. I had a, like a seven-year-old, six, seven-year-old child I had been out of radio since she was born. I gave birth to her on the radio and kind of left. I was freelancing in um, radio, television, and voiceover. And um, and I, I knew that there was, there was something really, really wrong still, that I'd done all of these things to feel more comfortable in my skin. And when I went to my doctor and said, you know, I'm, I've done all this stuff. I'm a year sober now. And something's still really wrong, you know? And he's like, tell me about it. And he's like, oh, I just came from a seminar. He said, your casebook, ADHD, you know? And so I did 10 years of Wellbutrin with um, very mild dexedrin, like five milligrams. Sometimes I'd snap it in half. And uh, 100 milligrams of dexedrin, time-released. 10 Mm. years, 10 years. But I'll tell you, they were some of the more coherent years of my life um, in terms of being able to task and follow and and just be on it, you know? And then uh, when I met my current husband, he also was in sobriety and he's like, well, you're still using mind-altering substances and uh, with the Wellbutrin and the Dexedrine. And I'm like, would you tell that to, an, to, a, to a diabetic? But anyways, I cold turkeyed it. 
and I, I plunged myself into withdrawal from dexedrine, uh, Wellbutrin, and and I went off the birth control pill, and so I plunged myself into menopause as well. Yeah, it was quite a quite about five years there. Um, wow, <laughs> I know I wouldn't recommend that. Um, you really got to be careful with your physical body. Um, and and we had gotten into so many things that we have followed through, like, you know, uh, the cacao journeys, the energy healing, um, you know, quantum biofeedback, uh, scalar energy devices, you know, uh, transpersonal counseling, uh, coaching um, sessions with people. And I was I was still coming off and trying to regain the skills that I had put together to keep myself on track my whole life until I started that medication, right? Because once I took that, all the things that I did, like I used to get up, I used to wake, I, before I'd go to bed, I, I'd, I'd, I'd write everything down on a piece of paper and I put it on the floor in front of the door of the bedroom because I was terrified. I would forget what I needed to do the next morning and I would forget that if I wrote a note, that I needed to look at the note and um, that kind of thing. And so it was just like, oh, wow, that was quite intense. And uh, and then we went to, you know, Paul and I went to India, Bali. We'd come back and we ended up in a community house, which, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd run across people who worked out of their house before and I thought they were weird. Um <laughs> <laughs> Like one of the first things when I was in my first year of sobriety, I wanted to get my ears candled, right? And I went to this woman who does ear candling, who's also like this psychic person. And she worked out of her home. And I thought, can't you afford to go to a, like get a place to work out of? But I didn't realize that what she was doing, she couldn't get a a, a storefront for her. They wouldn't let her. Like mm -hmm. I did, I was so oblivious to the alternative world, you know? And, uh, and so, um, yeah, she, and, and she was candling my ears and she was, and she, this is 1997. And she said, you know, are you open to uh, some information I have for you? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was going to tell me about my ears. And she said, you know, you're going to work deeply with the chakras. And I was like, what's a chakra? And, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and all, so, you know, you get all this kind of information. And so, you know, I had got to that place where, you know, we were deep into all these things, which, you know, and she told me about this book I needed to get. And at my then husband at the time, I was getting close to being 40 years old. Uh, he gave me a, a book, a gift certificate to Banyan books. And like, how the hell did he know where this woo woo bookstore was? I don't know. A $200 gift certificate to Banyan Books in 1998 was a lot of bucks. And I got the book she talked about. I got A Course in Miracles uh, and many other things that uh, started to shape my path. And it took another year for me to actually get to the place where I knew that I couldn't stay with somebody who's still in addiction. I couldn't. And, and I loved him. And I, and I had to go, you know, and I had to break up this family and I had to do these things. They were really, really hard, really hard. And so, um, you know, and I was so happy to meet Paul on the same path, sober, all of that. We've had our own things to work through, but not those, thankfully. And so, you know, when we were finding ourselves living in a house with a whole bunch of people, 
working out of our uh, out of a spare room and all that jazz. You know, along came this woman, Kali Ma, uh, and uh, Kali. You know, she's just like wow. She's strong medicine. A lot of people have some things to say about her, but I love her. She's such strong medicine. Wow. So grateful. Anyway, Kali Moss, you know, she was bugging me to do this frog thing. And I was like, I'm sober. I tried that ayahuasca shit before and I don't like it. And I'm not you know, going to step out of my sobriety. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing anything. And and she's like, one, one time she came, uh, she'd gone to live in the outskirts of somewhere because she was always getting kicked out of stuff and everything because she's tough medicine, man. And, uh, and this one time she said, hey, cat, can I come stay at your house? I want to go to the quantum touch circle. And I'm like, sure, you know, sure. And, and she came in and then she says, you know, you got to try that bufo. <laughs> and I'm like, no. And she said, you know what? I'll tell you a story. And she told me the story of this woman who she was with uh, this shaman down in Mexico where she learned to do the bufo and brought it back to Canada. Brave, brave, brave woman. And she told me the story of this uh, very ancient Spanish woman, afraid, terrified to die. And, uh, and she said, she was so weak, we had to smoke on ourselves and blow it in her mouth. Right? And it was like, wow. And, um, and she said, you know, Kat, when she came back, she wasn't afraid to die anymore. And I said, do you have any of that stuff with you? And she said, yeah. And I said, okay, when we get back from the healing circle, I'm going to go in with it then. And that was 5-MeO-DMT? Mm-hmm. And that was like uh, November 2014. Tell me about your first experience with that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, we did the healing circle. I never said anything to Paul on the way there. Kelly's in the car. She didn't say anything. And uh, we do the healing circle. And then we get back and all our junk back in the car. And me and Paul and Kelly are coming back to the house. It's like 10, 1030 at night. And I said, Paul? I'm going to do that um, frog stuff that Kali has. And he didn't say anything. And he's sober and I'm sober, right? The last thing that either one of us did was we dabbled with the ayahuasca back about hmm, six, seven years earlier. Nothing since, you know. <laughs> and, um, and he just nodded, came to the house, you know, started putting, you know, setting up the altar on the over the fireplace and singing the Mula Mantra and uh, just set in space. And we all just started setting space, you know. Nobody said much. And I know it was um, Pruitt, I think is his last name. Uh, he sings at Vajra Guru Padma City Um. Oh, oh, oh. Vajra Guru Padma And that song was playing. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I hadn't smoked anything in a long time. I'd given up the cannabis and the cigarettes and the tobacco and anything, anything, anything. And uh, I, I took a 
pipe full of that bufo and just went so deeply into the cosmos. Um, and as I came back, it was like I could hear that song playing. And I walked around for days afterwards with that song playing in my pocket. And, uh, and I was so in a field that I, you know, the people who were living in the house with us were coming in and like people who don't do it, like it was a sober house on some level. And they were like, I want to do that, Kath. Like, look at you, you know? And the next person to go in was Paul. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and that was the beginning. And we did, um, Kali stayed with us for the rest of November and December and into January of 2015. And we brought everybody we knew who we thought needed that to her. Mm. And we sat in journeys with them and uh, just uh, and just said, you can trust her. We're here. We're going to go in. You can trust what we're going to do right now. You know, one of our most beautiful friends, Asian lady, won't say her name, but she, she's out there and she's talking to them. And she goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm coming back. I want my life. No, I like my life. No, no, I understand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, 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 no. That's what she did for a long time. And then as she's getting deeper into coming into this realm, she's like, oh, you must love me so much, so much. She's looking at us like, wow, you must love me so much. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she was connecting to that deep divine love probably on that yeah. source level. Yeah. And she knew what a risk it is on some level to do this. Because some people, like, you know, there was another person uh, who was a housemate. And they went into as close as a psychotic break as I could, I, I'd ever seen. Right. And they kind of went a little bit weird. And it was almost like. They, they went into manipulating us with, like, maybe I should go to the psych ward, knowing full well that they don't want to go to the psych ward and what that would mean to everybody if they went to the psych ward. And, and it was like, oh, wow, wow, wow. You know, and, and you know what was interesting about that was that weekend, within that period of time at the beginning, we were doing a oneness awakening at the house and we had people coming in and we we brought this person into that room to be around other people because this person was doing things like crawling into bed with us at night and and just like and yet I could see her looking at us from the corner of their eye and I was like what are you doing and I don't know if it was the medicine brought that up or brought that in or what the hell went on there. But that was really intense. And that gave us one healthy respect for that medicine. And the, res the respect of, of the container and the respect of know who you're giving this to. Yes. Yeah. This is not an amusement park. This is, this is not, you know, like, mm, careful, careful. Is there any way that you would be able to tell if someone is going to have a divine loving experience or a psychotic 
break because you know someone who's never done it you you have no clue what you're getting yourself into yeah i i think you know on a cellular level we know like that and yet we'll talk ourselves out and that's what i keep saying go down another layer uh-huh right you know when on that cellular level you're getting a like but it's going to be all right why did you ignore that money hmm Fear of disappointing someone, being seen as a coward of some sort or anything. Like, I'm not saying in life you have to ask all these questions or those would necessarily be the questions you'd ask under those circumstances yourself if you were in that position. That's, But that's what I'm talking about. There's always more. There's always more going on here than we can see. And if you don't make an attempt to feel it and to 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 dig in it and to be honest with yourself about what you're up to. Mm-hmm. What do you need from this? You, the facilitator. What are you getting out of this? Right. And for the housemate, did the housemate ever come back to a stable sense of grounded reality. Yes, and it was in fact another housemate who she couldn't do that with, it seemed like. Adam, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> who lived with us for seven years. And he would eventually, when he moved out after living with us for seven years, doing all these cacao journeys, oneness things, quantum touch, he helped us with our meditation and everything. He ended up being, you know, a musician in a live band. For journeys, right. right? And that was that was like he was ready, but he was ready way back then. You know, he was doing this thing with her. No, don't do that. No, no. And and it was just like she just there was nowhere to go, and it was like ah, I didn't know how to do that. So At he that snapped point. her out of it. He sure did. Yeah, wow. that's a skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, it's it's like, no, no, whatever you're up to, it's not happening. And it's it's like, I know you're right there. You can come out now. And I was like, wow, wow, wow. Because we don't know what the medicine was doing for her either, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like that's her journey. That wasn't just about us and what the consequences. And you know what? We were meant to facilitate that for her. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do you think she knew going into it? Did she have a gut feeling that it might? Not have... at all. Not at all. She wanted what I had. Uh... And I was in bliss for days. I was relaxed. I was, I was calm. I was, uh, you know, anything but my frantic uh, ADHD, uh, busy, but big hearted, crazy self. And it was just like, she was just, she just saw this coherence. She hadn't seen before Mm. right and she wanted that but she got her journey right yeah yeah so the the lesson maybe for people is like everyone is getting their own journey Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's gonna mean something to you and it's Mm -hmm. gonna make sense to you on some level Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know like for instance uh mdma is a big one and there's a lot of facilitators who love to use ma. I call her ma to, you know, for couples and this and that and the other thing. Paul and I aren't medicine carriers. 
We're journeyers. We carry the mm-hmm. medicine cellularly. We do it to, to expand our own energy field to bring more to what we do with breath and all the other things that, that, that really mean something to us. You know, we don't want to be that or this or that, you know, and, and, and we don't really talk about it much, what we do or don't do. And, and, you know, I had a facilitator come to the house and she wasn't sure if we did journeys with people privately, but she, um, and she said, you know, do you do MDMA with people? And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And she goes, I said, we don't do anything with people. We do things with people, but not with people, if you know what I mean. And, um, and she said, well, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, um, a facilitator for MDMA in, in Ontario lost a patient, you know, they had a heart condition. She didn't realize and it killed him. And, um, and I was like, Ooh, but you know what? That was that facilitator's journey. Nobody did anything to anyone in that scenario. Right. That was that person's journey, you know, um, and with all the heart issues going on right now with people, myocarditis has become a common, uh, I wouldn't have known how to pronounce that a year or two ago. And, um, you know, it's, it's changing the landscape of, of medicine uh, um, for everyone. When you did your first um, journey with 5-MEO, do you remember what you saw on the other side? <laughs> well, f- lots of fractals. It was just uh, <clears throat> kaleidoscopic, fractally things. You know, there was one um, uh, Buffo journey where the fractals gradually started to become more coherent. Where, And apparently when I'm in the journey, I'm looking around everywhere, like, I'm rolling my head back, my eyes back to to see it all. It's it's just like what 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 and and it, you know it, it for me it's just like so much is going on, and it's so beautiful. <laughs> and on this one um, journey, there was a um, there was a color scheme I appreciate so much. It was like browns and golds and rusts and. You know, just that yummy cut palette of all of those things, you know, and 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 the fractals were like there was waves going through them, and you're like, you know, there was there was this one wave where there was a there was a couple of guys, you know, on the wave singing, you know, like Icaros, like Shapibos, uh-huh. uh, like wow, that's where you get the songs from, right? And it was, it was beautiful. It was so, it, it was like it was supposed to be my favorite color scheme so that I could, I would just like, ah, oh, and remember. Because the thing, what I've found with, you know, since the Buffo, we've done Jaguar and many things. And, and when I go deep in, like where you, when you just like, boom, gone. And then as you start to, to return, it's it, and you do get to look around a little bit and see with with eyes that see what's happening. Where you know I could see those colors and things. It's it's 
it's like, for me, the overriding feeling I have is that I'm surrounded by beings and I'm, and I'm just spread eagle in the middle of it. And, and, and they're just all like, you know, singing me home in some way. It's, it's kind of a strange feeling. It's like, I'm the only human that ever lived. And maybe that's because there really is only one of us, but who knows how that actually works. And, and it's, it, but yet at the same time, I know that there's many, many, many of us. And I'm like, and I think everybody's here with me, that I am everybody and everybody is with me too. And you know what I'm saying? It's like, there's no me or anybody. And, and so, and then, and then, it, and these beings surrounding me, nurturing me, coaxing me, loving me. And, and then, and then you become more and more aware. And then all of a sudden you're in a room full of people that are having their own trip. And you're like, you're fucking kidding me. I thought everybody was on my journey with me this time, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, it's, it's like, I've often done journeys with my daughter as my sitter and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, I remember this one time <laughs> she went in first and then I went in afterwards and, and sometimes I have like, you know, not so much fun. And sometimes I have that boom into the fractal realm of existence, right? And then it's like just coming back. It's just like so much love mm. in your heart and your body and your everything. And I, I looked her and I said, now you know how much I love you, right? And she's like, yeah, mom. But I wasn't there, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. I forget. <laughs> it really does feel like they're there with you, especially when you're doing it in a group yes, setting and you feel like you're in your own personal hologram and that mm -hmm. everything in your hologram is responding to you. Mm -hmm. yeah. And as you're coming back from that space, it's like this hybrid reality where you're still kind of there. You're still, you're coming back to the 3D. And everything is synced up. Everything feels so mm -hmm. divinely connected. Mm -hmm. And you can't believe they don't feel it and know right. it and have done it too. And it's just like, <laughs> I was alone, you know? <laughs> I, I wonder yeah. if in some way they are there. Maybe a mm -hmm. part of their consciousness is there with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the field is definitely, you know, all encompassing both of you if you're in the same room and they held your pipe. <laughs> you know, it's definitely, they were there. I remember what, another journey that Paul and my daughter and I did together and um we had this stuff called mimosa oh yeah which is the plant-based dmt uh -huh. and i'd had it in a little thing like this in a in my safe for years and i said why don't we try this and we're like we're all willing to try right and uh and i go in first right well it burnt my lungs so bad i thought i was dying because i was high but my chest was on fire and i looked at them and i said i'm dying oh no and they went yeah and i said no i'm dying and they're like yeah 
And I, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm dying. I'm really dying. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, fuck you too. I have to take care of myself here. And I just laid down and held my lungs and my chest. And I was like, fuck, if I die and these two have got to wear this, I can't die. Not my baby and my husband. Oh my God. You know, but they didn't, they didn't even get that I thought I was actually dying. Yeah, shit happens. Uh, it's good that they were there because and maybe to calm you down because they can see the objective reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could see I didn't look like I was dying. Yeah, and on the medicine, it's everything is so sensitive that it is really easy to overreact, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you feel like a burning feeling or something mm-hmm. from the inhalation. Yeah, yeah, I thought I was a goner. But it's funny that they <laughs> didn't take you seriously. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. You'll be all right. No, you don't understand. I'm really dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was a biggie. What What would you say are <laughs> some of the, the lessons that 5-MEO taught you about the universe and the nature of reality? Hmm. Well, you know, uh, well, you know, I I went through a long phase of wondering if this was just a hallucination, right? And then as more, you know, as more meditations go by, as more, you know, breath work, more, more journeys, and you bring it back to reality, you bring all of it back here, and everything starts changing around you, right? In the lucid reality that you're, you're walking around in, you know? Mm -hmm. I started to feel like um, this internal world is just, you know, like we are just a suggestion here. This is just a vehicle for my internal world, the energy that I am. And it becomes, you know, more dense as it comes to the edge. And, the, you know, in some ways, the most dense is my skin because it, it, you know, it tricks me into thinking all these little cells strung together won't come apart. At the at the drop of a hat, right, and that I'm that it's real, and that it's real, right, mm-hmm. and it's as you go along in that for a little while, then it starts to it's it for me it started to feel like no, no that stuff that I'm doing out there feeling like is out there, is in here, and yes it is in my mind and in my body, and that's the only place it could be, because there is nothing out there in terms of like, you know, planets and solar systems that have anything to do with this energy that we're talking about. Because that's all just a hologram. The whole, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the whole planetary stuff and aliens and psyops and resets and everything is the illusion And the more I go into this and understand I've made an agreement to see it that way, you know, give it the meaning that it has for me. You know, I give everything the meaning that it has for me. And then it's like, then you decide, is what I experience on these journeys real or not? And what is real? 
And I guess I get to decide that too, right? And that's what the medicines have done for me. One of the journeys that I've um, come to enjoy over the last year is ketamine. Mm. Love ketamine. It's like bufo and slow-mo. Ah. Uh-huh. Especially if it's intramuscular. I did the, my first experience of that was intramuscular with a little bit of Jaguar at the end. And, um, and that was an amazing day. It was before, it was the two days before my 63rd birthday. And um, Paul was arranging a, a, a surprise party, which I knew all about for me. <laughs> and I, I don't like surprise parties for me. <laughs> you were there for that, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I was like kind of furious, but it was hard to be furious because the day before I'd gone to a ketamine journey. And I think, you know, um, and and the little gal who was responsible for taking me out f- for a while so everybody could arrive and set this thing up um, had taken me to that ketamine journey, right? <laughs> and she's like, did I do the wrong thing? And it was like, no, you did the right thing. and. And she's like, you know, and I said, you know, I know you've got me out here because there's a surprise party being arranged for me. And I said, they hadn't better have got me one of those freaking carrot cakes I hate. (gasps) (laughs) Yeah, they did. And I'm like, oh, you know, I was just such a bitch, but I was a bitch in slow-mo, you know, and because I don't like surprise parties. And and I didn't know what was going on for a while. And I thought Paul was losing his mind. And <laughs> he was pissing me off. And then I th- when I found out it was all about a surprise party, I was really mad. <laughs> and so I, I arrive at this surprise party just furious with everyone. And uh, but I think the ketamine had softened something where I just couldn't take it to the wall like I would have if I <laughs> if I hadn't, you know. Yeah, yeah, it relaxes you so much. Yeah, and then my other friend who we used to do Jaguar journeys, we used to hold space for her to come and her people to come because our house is, you know, it it lends itself to that in the basement, and she would, uh, you know, do Jaguar journeys, and she couldn't come to my party, but she gave Paul. A little package. She said, Kathy's going to like this. And it was uh, ketamine lozenge and then 3-MMC. And uh, and I never touched those things until I hit my shoulder really hard. And I was starting to head into a frozen shoulder about four, three, four months later. And, um, and I was like, wow, this is bad. I'm going to have to go to, to a doctor or something or or pharmaceutical drugs to like loosen this shoulder up before it becomes rigid. And then I just sat bolt upright and I went, I have the best drugs. The the horses, they love the horses so much. They give them the best drugs. They (laughs) going to, and I'm like, I'm going to for a ketamine journey, like at 11 o'clock in the morning. And I'll tell you one thing that that ketamine told me, it was fascinating. Because I was late. I went, this was all by myself. Paul was like, I'll cancel my clients. I said, no, I don't want you here. I want to do this by myself. And so I just went up to our bedroom and and I got on the bed and I just, you know, did put some music on and took this lozenge she'd given me. And this is like about three or four months after the intramuscular. 
And, uh, and it was really interesting. And I saw the matrix in some ways because I'd had this, this little message in a Bufo journey a few months earlier to purge the matrix. And, um, and I, and I, I'd had one journey where I got it and I kept the setup because I knew I wasn't done. And next morning I had to go back in because it wasn't done. And, but I, I, I was sick, you know, like Bufo kind of makes you feel a little bit nauseated, um, because of the taste, the smell, the everything, right? And so I thought, I'm going to need a bowl for this. And I had a silver bowl. And so I smoked the bufo, and then I felt nauseated, and I just looked into the bowl. And when you're on bufo, and um, you're looking into a silver bowl, it becomes, it becomes millions of silver rings that just get smaller and smaller and smaller until there's nothing but a dot in the middle, the smallest circle that there is that's you can't see the center of it anymore, you know? And I was like, wow. And that was where the purge, the matrix came out. And then when I went into that ketamine journey, I went into this place where these all these little gray balls like lined up in rows, 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 rows. It, it didn't matter if they were going sideways or vertical or horizontal because when all it is is little tiny balls equal distance apart, as far as you can see, it's just a grid, right? And I was like, oh, this is the matrix. This is actually the matrix. I am the matrix. I am the matrix. I can't purge the matrix. I have to absorb the matrix and become a new aspect of the matrix, you know? And then uh, um, I didn't dare look left or right because I knew I was alone, that there was only one of me there. There were no other people to talk to. There was nobody else in the matrix with me. I am the matrix. I'm the only one here. And that's all there is to it. And it's like, I am creating all of this fucking story all by my fucking self. Right? And then my future self or my other self or my higher self or my soul self, you know, shows up, walks through my bedroom door and sits, stands at the end of the bed. And it's like, well, Kath, what would you like to do with this? Right? Would you like to die? You could, you know, this little thing with the shoulder, we can spin it into anything you want. Yep. Anything. You can die any way you want. Just starting right here. You can just either let this go and live, or we can, this can be the beginning of your death. You know, what do you want to do? You want to live or die? And why? And what did you, did you make a decision in that moment? <sighs> you know, it, it just, you know, when I was faced with the choice of, um, you know, the realization that I could choose to activate my death story now, or I could enliven myself. <clears throat> it was, it was like, yes, you do create all of it. And um, every, every, everything is created by you. There's no one doing anything to you here. Give it up. You know, give it up. You know, it's like, what do you want to do? How do you want to live? 
And it's not like I've lived perfectly since that journey, like about a year and a bit ago. It's been a hell of a ride. You know, it's like you don't, you know, it's just a lot mm-hmm. to, uh, to realize how responsible you actually are for everything that you're experiencing. How, how can we be better creators in our life, knowing that we are creating all of it? in our own personal holograms. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. It's tough. Because you have to take full responsibility and nobody wants to do that. Nobody. Nobody. It's all about they said this, they did this to me. And walking out of the stories of what they have done to you, it, it's tough, you know, because you love people along the way, you hate people along the way, you have fun, you have misery and suffering. It's all you. And, uh, and you go, well, why can't I have more money? Why can't I have more fun? Why can't I have more, you know, sunshine for fuck's sakes? Like, what the hell's going on here? And uh, it's just... I give everything the meaning that it has for me. It'll go to that eventually, and then it'll go. And what meaning does that give you? What story are you telling with that meaning? And then you'll get that you've given that story a certain meaning, and there's reasons for that. And if you dig, you'll find why you want to shore that story up. And we get to choose every story. And which stories mm-hmm. we sure up. Yeah. And the, the simplest thing you can do is just set yourself free and set everyone around you free as kindly as possible. And it's not pretty. It's never pretty because everybody else is doing the same thing, right? No one is a saint here. And everybody wants to blame everybody else for everything they don't like about their life. What do you think is the strongest force in the universe? Hmm. I was talking with Paul about that the other day. Um, Osho said something about uh, God isn't love. Love is God. Hmm. So it's like love is even before God. It's everything. Because God's our story about love, right? It's one of the aspects of love that we make a story about. We need a God. We need a creator. We need a Jesus. We need a Buddha. we We need a shaman, you know? Yeah. We gotta have someone with authority help us here. <clears throat> the only authority is our love. And we've made all this bullshit up. What have you have you learned about love in uh, all your years and what lessons have you been given around love? <laughs> well, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> 
We're all full of it, you know, full of love. We are only love. But the story we're telling is, I think on on some level, it's the story of we want to prove love exists by creating ways that it doesn't, obviously. And so we can you know, make up all this stuff about love. And, um, you know, like the pandemic was perfect. It was all about, you know, if you love somebody, you'll do this or that. And the other side saying, well, if you love somebody, you won't do this or that, you know. And it's, and everybody uses love as a weapon. Um, and that proximity means something around love and it 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 really has nothing to do with it you know i think i've found more love in the setting free of those who i think i love and that i want close to be able to love them than any other way of exploring love how how can we set free those that we love? No expectation. Mm. Yeah. That's hard, you know, because, yeah, we want to know we're safe. And the way that we have felt safe here is, you know, we have a fire. We have a tribe around the fire. And if you're not part of that circle, you're in the wilderness and in the dark. And you're afraid. You have no one to love. You have no one to love you. And there's no fortification through the love of others that you give or receive to give you, to give you meaning the meaning that your life has, all the meaning that you give it is all the conditions we have on love. That's, uh, you know, that's where we get our meaning from everything. You know, if somebody meets my love conditions, you know, I give that meaning. They love Mm me. Mm -hmm, mm Right? Right? If I meet their conditions or if I meet the, my, my thoughts of what I think I can do for them to, to please them so that they feel loved, I too will be in love with them, right? Just in love. You know, people make love, but it's like, it's like a meat grinder, you know? You're putting in love and you're grinding out meat and it's going out. You know, it's, it's like, it's like a music grinder. It's, it's like, you know, you, until somebody turns the wheel, you know, you're making love. All the ingredients were there, but the song isn't sung until someone turns the wheel and gives it the meaning that it has, you know? So we're, we've all been flying around this place, giving everything the meaning that it has, looking for love, right? And we are, we're just full of it. Mm-hmm. 
I wanted to ask you about love in the context of Paul. Yeah. You and Paul met 16 years ago at mm-hmm. a New Year's party. Mm-hmm. And he told me on the podcast that the first moment that he saw you, there was a familiarity <laughs> of, oh, it's you. Yeah. And I was so curious to ask your side of that story and how, yeah. how it came about for you. Well, you know, it's interesting when you look at that kind of thing, like, you know, I was dancing with my eyes closed, right? At this party. Because it wasn't really my crowd in some ways. And I'm a real hermit. I don't know what I was doing at that freaking New Year's party um, on some level. But I needed to get out, I thought. Yeah. And so I'm dancing with my eyes closed. And I'd seen this guy dancing with all these women because he's a real dancer, right? He knows a whole bunch of dances. He knows all the ballroom dances, for instance. And he was dancing, you know, and all the women wanted to dance with him because anybody who knew a, a, a few dance steps to some dance, cha-cha, rumba, you know, waltz, anything, Paul could lead them into greater dancing with their little bit of skill, right? And <laughs> so they all wanted to dance with him. And I'm just watching this guy and he's he's like, you know, Paul. And at the time he he had his he flicked his hair a lot to get it off his forehead. And and it, and he and then I'm dancing by myself, and I thought, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> so I'm over dancing by myself with my eyes closed. Just leave me alone, everybody. And, <laughs> and at one point, I open up my eyes, and he's dancing right in front of me, like right in front of me. And I guess that's probably why I open my eyes. And then he did this twirl where he went down. Uh, like way down and twirled around on one foot and then came up and flicked his hair. And I thought, oh, what an asshole. And, <laughs> <laughs> but I was in like so deep already because it was just like, <laughs> it wasn't like, like I had the same, same response, like, uh oh. And uh, you asshole. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Was that intense? And, you know, we've had that kind of relationship all along. You know, you know, Paul and I. And uh, it's like, it's a great love. It's vast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It must have gone on through many lifetimes, is all I can think. Many eons, many galaxies, whatever the fuck. Many, you know, many out there's. Because, like, yeah, you know. Paul likes to candy coat things in hindsight. I, I I go I go right with like what actually like you know happened for me, and it was like, oh, what an asshole! Like he was such a show off, right? But you know he was doing the cock, you know, uh-huh, cock a doodle doo, uh-huh. little girl, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> but you also a part of you knew that you were falling oh, for him. I was done like a dinner. <laughs> Yeah. He said that he didn't contact you for 10 days after Uh he first met you. Because he also, as he put it to his friend, if I contact her, I'm done. (laughs) Uh, What was going on through your mind in those 10 days? Hmm. Well, you know, the thing was, is that we were, we we were, this party was a sober, well, it wasn't a sober party. It was a party thrown by somebody from 
the sober community, <clears throat> Alcoholics Anonymous, for those who have ever heard of that one. And um, and there was mixed. There were there was all kinds of people. Not everybody was sober, right? And uh, so, but there were a lot of our tribe there. And I didn't really know Paul, um, and uh, but a lot of people knew him and knew me. And when they saw us do this, they were like, no. <laughs> Why no? <laughs> I don't know. Well, there were some men who didn't want that to happen and some women who didn't want that to happen. And, and there were just some opinions that were pretty strong. And, 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 you know, it actually drove us out of Alcoholics Anonymous because we chose our relationship over that tribe. Um, and so, you know, um, there was a lot of drama around that. And I, I didn't know for sure. And, I, and so, you know, at one point, <laughs> we're in a corner. And I got my back to the corner and I've pulled him right into the corner and he's right there. So you can't even see me. It looks like Paul's talking to the corner of the wall. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm talking to him and I've got my business card in my hand and I'm like, I'm not sure if I should give this to you or not. Are you a player? And so you're doing your due diligence. <laughs> yeah. So I gave him the card. I didn't get the call. And I thought, well, I guess he's a player. Mm. Yeah. And then he called. Yeah. 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 Cause I thought, well, you know, I'm, I, I'm a, I, you know, I, I'm a pretty outspoken type of person. And so uh, like, you know, it was like, don't fucking call me if you're a player. All right. Right. Like, do you get that? And he, <laughs> like, <"Ooh."> right. So <laughs> maybe scared him off a little bit. <laughs> I guess part of it was like he knew that if he did make that phone call, this woman isn't going to be a casual anything. How did you have that very clear understanding? I mean, that's a powerful knowing to know that I'm either being serious or not at all. Hmm. Hmm. I'd had enough of players. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. You know, it's it's sort of like, I'd never really said that to anybody else either, you know. But I think what happens is it goes back to those things where you don't realize you're doing what you're doing until you do. And then you realize how it all adds up, right? And um, And so, you know, Paul had to come to terms with, you know, how he likes to be in many places all at once, having all the best fun all the time, right? And it's just like, well, I won't be one of those girls for you, like who, you know, you can have fun. It's not that I'm saying he was a promiscuous person. It's just like even that night coming to that party, he had two parties that he wanted to go to. And he was like, "Eh, I want to go to both of them, right? He wanted to actually be in both at the same time, Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, I'm not that kind of person. You cannot, don't call me if you want to be somewhere else at all. And then you got married within six months. Yeah. (laughs) It was that clear, like that knowing. I think the universe got us married so that they could keep us together. (laughs) Because... 
because we we just went right into all of it. You know, we're still in it. We still like, you know, massive love and it's and massive like working shit out. And it's and it's and it's like, want to go another layer, Paul? You know, this is my favorite answer with Paul. Let's go down one more. <laughs> Let's ask the question. This is not the end this, of that discussion because that brings up this and this and this question. And um, if you want to be honest and ask and, and answer these kinds of questions, or if you don't have enough, if you, if you, if you don't want to dig like that, just say so. Just say so, right? It's okay. What is the key to dealing with the wounds and core issues that come up with each partner and sort of healing each other, helping each other come together? What I say to people is like, like for instance, there was a young lady getting married to a friend of mine. And, um, and I said, you know, you're going to hit hatred. And she, no, no, no. And he's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, you will. You will. F if you get, if you keep going deeper and you find, you want more love, you will find its opposite with it. Mm. And you have to do the alchemy to, to integrate it all. And I said, if you don't have the thing, you won't survive the hatred. What is the thing? That thing that Paul said, I knew right away that I looked at him, what, what an asshole, and I'm going to love him for the rest of my life, I bet. You know? Where you're so deeply committed to each other, you know you're going to work things out. You're going to work mm -hmm. it through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the what is advice that you can give the listeners for a successful, healthy, long-term relationship? Hmm. The feminine has to get right with herself and surrender to the masculine in the right way so that he can be what, all that he can be. And in that surrender, so is she. And I know there's a lot of people would have problems with what I just said. And I'm telling you, it's, it's like a very long conversation to explain that. But um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's having the courage to go into the wounds with the other person, especially the sexual wounds, and to show up for yourself and to allow your surrender to come from deep inner authenticity or else it's just more games, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Wow. To go another layer deep, to uncover mm -hmm. the true, mm -hmm. authentic emotion. Or... To say, show me your darkness. Mm -hmm. Show me what you're ashamed of. Mm. 
which is so hard for people to do, mm-hmm. to be that vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that will take a long time to get to. That's not the opening sentence. You know, that's not, you know, that's not how I went in. You know, we were having some pretty deep struggles in our marriage, and it was like, hmm, that thing that we have, that thing, hmm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deepen that thing. That magnetic, that magnetic quality, the magic of touching Paul's finger or touching his toe, even when every uh, cell in my body is so furious with him, I could stab him in his sleep. You know, I'm so mad. (laughs) And yet there's my baby toe looking for some place on him to touch. I could just feel him. You see, there's, yeah, there, you know? Because we're humaning. Mm-hmm. We're going through it. We're hating. We're loving. We're freaking out here. Yeah. And all we really want deep down is to be loved. Mm-hmm. Underneath everything is love. Yeah. Everything. Everything. no matter what it looks like. Yeah. What would you say to those who are just starting their spiritual journey? Is there a practice of love or a a teacher or a book that you could recommend to them Hmm. that would connect them deeper to maybe their own love, self-love? Yeah. Well, Osho the mustard seed is really good. You know, the mustard seed, the story of the mustard seed, the smallest seed on the planet that grows into one of the biggest trees. And and uh, I don't know. I think the gene keys is really good. Are there lessons around self-love that you've learned that you could share with, with us? Yeah. Well, yes, in the sense of there is nothing that you have done or that somebody can accuse you of that they haven't done in their heart or their head in some way themselves. Wow. Okay. Nothing. So if they're seeing it in you or criticizing it in you, they're also, that's their shadow aspect. I mean, I've heard that a lot and I've heard people throw that in someone's face. It's, well, it's a mirror for you. And it's like, um, I, but I do see if you if you deepen that one and you mm-hmm. don't use it to hurt someone with that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but and, and that's what I mean when I say underneath everything is love, you know. Like one of the greatest teachers for me for that is my is my daughter. It, you know, it's like sometimes she just doesn't get what I'm actually trying to do she thinks you know it's over here and i'm like wow like holy shit you know all i all i got is i just want to run around and and make sure you're loved that all you all you get is everything and and it's perfect for you and 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 that you you know that you love me as your mom you know like like it's not that I, i'm doing this to get love as your mom but that that it's like 
and, and, but you've got a good mom, my mom who loves you, you know, like, and I'm trying everything I can. And, and it's just like, you know, the misunderstandings can go wild. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I've seen that between parents and children and sisters and brothers. And it's like, wow. And underneath it all, in some way, it all started to do something to help somebody because you love them or manipulate some situation because you think it's going to be better for them or, and, and, or, you know, like, Oh, if I do that and then that'll happen for him or her or whatever. And then, and then, and they look at that and they go, what are you doing? And you're like, I'm loving you. And you're like, no, you're not. And you're like, wow. And so you realize that under everything is love. Under the wackos that are that are doing horrible things, they're doing it for the love of something, twisted as that may be. Really, you think ev- everything, even the most heinous crime, is being done out of a love for something, mm-hmm. or maybe a lack of love as well? Like maybe they're feeling a lack of something. Everything is love. So even hatred is love in a twisted way, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Even hatred is love. Like, explain that to me. Mm. Well, like, you look at the people who, like, look at me when I was eight and I was going to be a Satanist. Right? That was a form of self-love to want to even do that because of the things I was seeing around me. But you know what? And and the things, the ways I was being treated. But you know what? Those people, they thought they were loving me. They were teaching me things that I needed to learn, you know, to eat certain things, to learn how to clean, to be a quiet child, to be a servant to adults. You know, that was their form of love. And, and it's like a dog that runs wild all over the place and everybody wants to get your dog out of here. And so, you know, um, you know, the dog owner thinks it's loving when it lets it eat from the table and, and lick its face. Yet when it's at someone else's house and it's (laughs) all through dinner and, and running across people's physical boundaries, the dog is not loved. But the dog thinks it's being loving or it's or it's it's getting when it's, you know, you know what I'm saying? So actually to discipline is love in some ways. Yet I didn't see that as love the way they were disciplining me. You know, it didn't feel like it to me. They, my brother, you know, when he found out how I felt about my childhood with him and his former wife, he stopped talking to me because he was like, we were so good to you. And I'm like, wow, I was in hell. But that was his form of love to the point where I thought I should get some skills on how to straighten these people out. Wow. Right? Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Love is under everything. And in my love for myself, which is, you know, like I got to get away from these adult people. They're hurting me so badly. I went into something that if I had stayed in it as an adult, I'd be a freaking monster, according to some people. 
but I would be loving myself. I'd be powerful. I'd be doing this and I'd be doing that. And, and, and that, and that in its own way has its place as a, as a malformation of love, as an aberration of love, right? But all of it came out of love, love, the need to be loved, the desire to be loved, and the desire to love, to have our love received. Man, some of the greatest serial killers on the planet just didn't get their loved received. They had parents who didn't receive them, you know? And they're like, okay, I'm going to go out and love my own way. You'll get it. You know, it's, 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 and we go, wow, that's an aberration. That's hatred. That's this, that, and the other thing. Where did it come from? Love, the desire to be loved and not feeling love. You know, what happened to those parents? Like, what did their parents do? Like, how far back can we go? Adam and Eve, if they were such a thing to find the source of love and where it went wrong? And why we do this this way here? I mean, you know, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing. There's just too little love. And it's just like, well, I think it's everywhere. It's just misunderstood, misused. And nobody knows how to actually touch it. They long for love. And even the person who's sitting here watching this says, fuck, she's nuts. I don't long for love. It's like, yeah, you do. That's, that's what was put inside your mother's womb. And it would be a woman, even if she had her breast loft up and, and is growing a beard at the moment. She's not a man. She's still a womb man. <laughs> and, and, you know, like the things that are happening to the family right now and to the sexual orientation and what we're, what we're calling love. Wow. All in the name of love, huh? Is there something that surprised you about parenting, being a mother, things that you didn't expect? Yeah, I didn't realize that, you know, it, I mean, it may sound stupid, but it's probably because of my own upbringing as not being really seen as a person until maybe I was smoking my own cigarette and drinking my own beer, you know, who knows? Um, <clears throat> but I, I just didn't have a concept of this person having as much of a strong self. I thought babies came in ready to be imprinted by their parents, you know? And there was a lot of my former husband and myself in my child, but there's a core that's uniquely her own self. And it took me a long time to know, to know that and to know that communication can be like my love language is not hers, right? And you know, and I seem to, you know, meet a lot of young women like her. And it was just recently I met somebody who's actually like me, who I was like, I thought, oh, oh, okay. So people could have a, a child that might be like themselves. And they would think that they, that they imprinted that on them, that that child was like them because they were their parent. 
But it's not that. It's just this random personality, you know, draw, luck of the draw that you get from the universe that, you know, you build your core with uh, on as the foundation for what your parents and your extended family and your ancestors offer, right? And it's hard because the child doesn't see sometimes how much the parent loves them because they think that the parent is being controlling or too strict. But when you grow up and you look back at your parents, you're like, ah, I see now. I see that they were trying to look out for my best interests. If you're lucky, you know, sometimes kids don't get that. They just see your love as some form of manipulation no matter what. Hmm. And maybe you are in manipulation with it. Because who knows how to fucking love here without hurting anyone. Yeah. But it's, it's fascinating what you said is that it all comes back to love. And I think that's also what the plant medicines show us over and over. That when you go to these realms, most people, what they experience is that pure connection to love. And then they can take a piece of it, the reference point, back into the 3D and hopefully connect deeper to that. Yeah. And it takes so long to know yourself, you know, know who you are mm-hmm. and separate your, your own individuation, your own uniqueness from all that happened what you had happen from your family and what you went out into your little world and set in motion yourself. Because like from the time you go to school and you get out there, you know, there's parts of, you know, what your parents taught you and what your grandparents taught you and all that. And, you know, personality aspects of your parents, perhaps that you're under the influence of. And then there's that uniqueness of your own. And that drives the fricking bus a lot. More than people are willing to admit. They'd rather blame. Because it's painful to think. I created something for myself that hurts me. Yeah. It sounds like also, would you say that's one of the benefits of getting older? Is you discover and you realize more of who you are? If you're lucky. Yeah, I've seen a lot of elders that don't have it. And I've seen people that walk in that wisdom so quietly and so softly, you know? And I've often thought I'd like to be quiet and soft, but I'm not, you know? (laughs) Which is great. I've always been this way oh my god you know i went to my former husband's retirement party he's been in radio for 47 years i got out when we had our child because it gave birth on the radio and i went home to take care of her right he stayed for another 27 years in radio and um or yeah 31 years and um and so i went to his retirement party with those people who i mentioned earlier who you know, I was fortunate enough that fate brought me to this place where I was, I had a blast um, being part of this ensemble cast uh, for like six, seven years. And we just, we just rocked it and had so much fun. And, you know, I went back to this 
retirement party for him. It was kind of small. It was mainly our show from the morning show and a few other people along the way that, you know, in his career afterwards, but the really close ones. And I brought Sadie with me because she was born on the radio. <laughs> so she's actually part of that show. And, and uh, you know, I was uh, talking to my friends and just being myself, you know, and, and you know, uh, one fella said, oh, that's what I always loved about you, Kathy. You haven't changed a bit. You're still that way and this way and that way. And, and I'm like, oh, my God, really? I've always been like this? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized I haven't changed at all. You know, like there's aspects, there's wisdom that we bring in. There's, we temper ourselves somewhat. But this is this is who I've been ever since that first spark of light went in my mother's womb. So what do you think changes as we get older, if the core part remains eternal? The meaning we give it. The meaning we give it. Mm-hmm. Mm. The meaning we give it. So every decade, you're giving new meanings, maybe, to things yeah. that yeah. are actually the same. Yeah. And 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 I think you were here when I did you were here when I started up the picture room, all my pictures oh, yeah. in one room because I brought them all out of the garage and I had everything from my high school books, all the memorabilia from all of those years, mm-hmm. you know, in radio, all of my ex's stuff because nobody wants anything. Nobody wants anything. I'm like, yeah, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah. And so the last room they ended up in was the big blue room in the basement. And now they're all over the floor because I had to look for Dean's stuff from all these years. I kept letters. I kept the most amazing stuff and put it together with Sadie to give to him. And every time I had to move room, you know, like, all these tubs of photos because you people don't have photos anymore, your age group, right? Like it's all on electronics and USB sticks. If you really want to keep it, you know, you put it all loaded on a photo stick and then now you got your stick, but you don't have pictures, pieces of freaking paper, letters, magazines. I covered magazines. I was in magazines. I was, we were written up. We were all of it. And it's all in there. And, uh, you know, and I looked at the women I've been, the change of hair, you know, as the wrinkles came in, as the, you know, all of the things came in. I mean, man, I was a looker in my youth, you know, it was like, wow, I didn't know. I should have appreciated that better. Appreciate yourself now, not from an egoic perspective, but from just love yourself, you know, just as you are. Are there any lessons that you would impart to your younger self if you could go back and talk to her? Yeah, I guess. I would say probably be kinder and have fewer expectations of others and more of yourself. Um, be kinder to yourself too. Um, and just be happy. 
Just find out what makes you happy and do it. Kathy, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. It's been an <laughs> epic conversation. Is there, a, is there one last piece of advice that you'd like to leave the listener with on how can they live a more epic life? <laughs> I don't know. I might still be trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> Never give up. <laughs> and let life flow through you. Appreciate those synchronicities, you know, those things. You know, that story I told of all the bits and pieces, you know, from doing nails at 15 years old that led me to there, to there, to there, to there, to there, to here, to that, to this, to this, you know? And it's just like, wow, you don't know. You know, I, I used to say that to my daughter a lot of times. She'd say, I don't want to do that. I don't have any desire to do that. And I'd say, just do it for a little while. Like, see what it feels like. See who you meet. See where it goes. See mm -hmm. for sure you don't like it. I know I don't like it. And I'm like, maybe you do, though. You don't know for sure. I know. And it's just like, it's like, I don't know that we can be sure of anything here. You know, so explore. Mm -hmm. Allow life to bring things to you. Mm, that's powerful. Don't think it's all you doing this. Because you know what I also mm. discovered was, and it was, it it. It's like, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's a spiritual program, by the way, the 12 steps. It was, it was my first real dive into a program of spirituality. In fact, the 12th step says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the goal, not to stay sober, but to be spiritually awake, and if that means you don't drink alcohol or you don't drink alcohol alcoholically, if if you think that's possible, if you're if you're one of those, but you know, it, it is what it is. Let life bring things to you and look for what life is bringing. Look, marvel at those synchronicities. Love them up. You know, you don't have to tell everybody about them all because sometimes it's just like nobody wants to hear. And, and, but just live in the flow. Sometimes it's just for you as well, those synchronicities. Yep. Mm -hmm. Kathy, thank you so much. Uh, where can people find you if they want to connect with you or your work? Well, we are in Vancouver at the moment, um, but our website is quantumlife.ca. And it is a quantum life. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. It's yeah. Quantum, quantum life of love. Yeah, I should change that. I should call it quantum love. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, James. I appreciate you too. I've uh -huh. really enjoyed it when you were living with us at the house. I really did. You've got a beautiful way about you, and I'm so glad you're doing this. And I love your curiosity. I always did of what others were thinking and doing and saying. And this is perfect for you, love. Thank you, Kathy. That means a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mwah. 
You've been listening to the James Zander Trip. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate every listener that tunes into the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you shared it with one friend who might benefit from this podcast. And if you want to connect with me personally, visit jameszander.com, sign up to my newsletter, and reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know what your spiritual path has been like and what your psychedelic journeys have been like. Thank you so much for tuning in, for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Much love. Hey, so if you're still listening and you've made it this far, I want to thank you personally. You are one of the OGs, the true fans of the podcast. Not many people listen to the end, so if you've actually made it this far, I don't take that for granted. I appreciate you so much, and I invite you to reach out to me personally. I'd love to hear what episodes you most enjoyed, what type of topics, and what type of guests you'd love to see in the future. Feel free to message me on Instagram, or you can email me if you sign up to my newsletter and just hit reply to the welcome email. I'll be sure to read it. Now, if you have a moment to rate the podcast on Apple or Spotify, that would help me out so much. I super appreciate that. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast on YouTube, please do me a favor and go to youtube.com slash at James Zander Trip. I'm trying to get to 1,000 subscribers, so every subscriber counts. One last thing, I have another podcast where I do solo episodes, mostly about psychedelics, but I also share life lessons and all sorts of insights. So if you search for The Microdose, you can find my second podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And finally, I just launched a mindset course called Unlock God Mode. So in the next audio, you'll hear more details about my course. If you're not interested, feel free to skip to the next episode. Again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. It means the world to me. Feel free to share this episode with a friend that you think might enjoy it. And I'll see you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, you might enjoy my brand new audio course, Unlock God Mode. Unlock God Mode is a four-week experience where every day you'll get a 15-minute audio lesson that gives you frameworks, tools, and perspectives to upgrade your relationship with life. In the same way that mushrooms give you insights that help you up-level in the video game of life, I designed this course to do the same thing for you. I've compiled every lesson that I learned through psychedelics, through meditation, through my spiritual work, through life. I've put my best tools in this course so that no matter who you are, if you choose to go on this adventure with me, you're going to learn some amazing frameworks. You're going to learn to see life with new eyes. You will improve your relationship with life. And by extension, your life will improve. If you're interested in more details, go to jameszander.com slash godmode or use the link in the show notes. Use the promo code SHROOMS for a special discount. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I deeply appreciate you. Feel free to reach out to me through my newsletter. Go to jameszander.com to sign up. I'd love to connect. This episode is sponsored by magicmush.ca. If you're looking for an online dispensary for magic mushrooms, mushroom chocolate, and other high-quality psychedelic products, head over to magicmush.ca and use the promo code JAMES to get 25% off. Thank you for listening and have a beautiful trip.